Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers, a podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. Well, we've got some roasted, delicious chicken, and I have a question about it. We're talking to Deanna Fox today, and you can check out our website at foxonfood.com. Dot com, yep. And I have a question about roasting meats because I just have to confess, every time I try to just throw meat in the oven and roast it, it gets dry and gross. And most of the time I pan fry things and it is just, from what I hear, not as healthy. And we could really get more complex flavor if I really took the time for it to roast properly without drying out and tasting like death. (laughs) So let's start here. So what kind of meat are you roasting? Well, my favorites are chicken and beef. Okay. So steak. Right. So chicken, I use the Thomas Keller method for roasting a chicken, and it's so simple and it's so easy. Um, My take on it is like the morning of or even the night before I want to roast my chicken. I take it out of the fridge. I pat it dry. I put salt all over it, all over the skin, you know, top, bottom, in the joints, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And I put it just on a rimmed like baking dish and I put it in the fridge uncovered for either that day or overnight. So what happens is the salt is going to draw out moisture. It's going to soften up the chicken a little bit, um, but it's going to draw out moisture just on the surface level. And the air in the refrigerator is going to circulate around and pull that moisture off. So what's going to end up happening is you're going to get a crispier outside. You're going to get crispier skin on your chicken. Um, And then the Thomas Keller method is you put your oven at 425, You take olive oil and you rub it all over. I like to use like a lemon olive oil that you can buy at a lot of grocery stores now um, just to give it that lemon flavor. Rub that all over. Salt, pepper. Um, If you have some fresh thyme that you can kind of take the the leaves off and rub that on, that's great. And then in the cavity of the chicken, take an onion that's cut in half and put that in and a lemon that's cut in half and put that in. And that's going to keep your chicken from getting uneven when you cook it. 425. Wait, it has to be a half. Like you can't put chopped onion or chopped. You want to just put the half in yeah, there? Yeah, no, you cut it You cut it in half. Don't put, like, the whole onion in. Cut it in half and put it in. Um, I think mostly just because it fits a little better. Okay. If you put it in, you can kind of manipulate it in there. Um, unless you have a really cavernous chicken, <laughs> then, you know, that's another issue completely. <laughs> um, but 425 for an hour, and that's it. And it comes out perfect every Does single it go, time. But then you have to also account for the pounds right now is there a ratio of time to pounds or? uh if you're doing a chicken most chickens that you're going to get to roast are between five and seven pounds um if you get so the a, hour will will cook it yeah at most you're looking at maybe an hour and 15 um if you have a really big chicken but the way you would tell is take a, a paring knife or your chef's knife whatever and right by the thigh like the joint where the leg connects to the body mm-hmm. you put your knife in there and press and um, see where the juices are coming out. If they come out a little bit pink, it's not quite done. But if they come out a little bit yellowish, like the fat or clear, mm-hmm. it's perfect. Take it out, let it sit for about seven to ten minutes, and then carve it up, and it's perfect every now, single time. I've heard people putting foil over it to keep the outside from getting too brown before right. it's done. Right. Do you think 
at a high temperature like 425, mm-hmm. it wouldn't make the outside be really crispy even though the inside is not fully cooked? Uh, not not with this recipe. I've never had that problem. Um, but also you can just adjust where your rack is. So you want your rack when you're roasting to either be in the middle or the bottom third of your oven. Um, okay. So if you're putting it too close to your top burner, it's basically like putting it under the broiler. And it will get really dark. Um, if it gets too dark, don't start it with the foil. Mm-hmm. Use the foil as a last resort if it gets too dark. Then you, okay. you kind of tent it over um, and that'll prevent it. And that's the same method that you can do um, with your turkey. Don't start it in foil because really what's going to do is going to steam it's not even going to, braising will actually, even though it's in liquid, it will um, kind of imbue a lot of flavor into the meat because there's usually some sort of aromatic happening in your braising liquid. But if you're just kind of steaming the meat, so if you put foil around it really tightly or put a roasting lid over mm-hmm. it when there's no other liquid kind of happening in the pan, what's happening is just the natural moisture is coming off the meat and just kind of making your your meat kind of almost like it was poached more okay. than braised or roasted. So you're not really getting a lot of that roasted flavor because a lot of the flavor that's coming from roasting is actually the browning of the meat. Um, it's called the Maillard effect. It's M-A-I-L-L-A-R-D. It's a French term invented by a guy. I think his name was Louis Maillard. And he was a chemist, I believe, that was trying to figure out proteins. He was trying to figure out how proteins kind of work, how they synthesize. And um, he discovered this really awesome technique for cooks, for home cooks, for chefs, for whoever, that basically when proteins synthesize they turn into carbon and carbon is delicious that's why things that come off of a grill taste really good uh so that's kind of what you're looking for when you're doing meat and even when you're doing baked goods or vegetables it's the same thing that's why you add um on your baked goods you do a an egg wash it helps to create that browning effect Mm -hmm. um, just from that little bit of protein and with your vegetables too you add some fat in there um that kind of expedites the browning process. Not quite the same as if you add like an egg yolk, um, but it does kind of help with the browning process. But with a like a beef roast, you know, it depends on the cut of beef that you're using. If it's an actual steak, don't braise or roast your steak. You do want to start it off in the pan. There's well, a really at least I'm doing that right. Right. There's actually <laughs> there's a great uh, food writer, uh, J. Kenji Alt Lopez, who writes. Um, the Food Lab on Serious Eats. And he had a book that came out last year. It won, I think, the James Beard Award and maybe an IACP Award. It, he's fantastic. He actually thinks it works better in reverse if you slow cook it first. So you kind of roast the steak first and then you sear it in the pan. It's actually juicier, but kind mm-hmm. of common knowledge is, um, and you can look up his method. So that's for well-done steak then, because if you want it rare or yeah. medium rare... Yeah, but it's, he's saying that by that method, I believe that it doesn't even matter if it's a little bit more gray, less red. It's mm-hmm. still very juicy because you're actually retaining more moisture. So if you have people who don't like to see pink on their meat <laughs> or red, I like my steak to be mooing. I like to put it like on a leash. If somebody doesn't want their steak to be pink, they shouldn't eat steak. I agree. I agree. But uh, yeah, so you can if you're doing a steak just with a little um, equal parts, like a tablespoon of butter, a tablespoon of olive oil, just to give it some flavor, you know, sear it for salt and pepper on each side sear it for maybe two to three minutes just until you get a little bit of nice carbon and then just put it in the oven until you know maybe for another eight to ten minutes and that's it so yeah looking forward to making chicken now (laughs) who's gonna come over for dinner (laughs) the whole neighborhood (laughs) so we're switching it up you asked about beef and chicken i'm gonna ask about vegetables which is normally backwards (laughs) So I get a lot of vegetables with my farm share, and I heard you talk about roasting radishes. Oh, so good. Oh I've my never gosh. done that before. They just kind of sit there because we don't know what to do with them. Yeah, well, 
One of my favorite ways to cook a radish, uh, not even to, to cook it, just to prepare it, is just to chop it up on a piece of baguette. So you have baguette, maybe you toast it, some butter, some radish that's been sliced or chopped up, a little bit of sea salt, and a little bit of thyme, just that. And I could eat that all day, every day. It's amazing. Um, but to roast them gives it a completely different taste. A lot of that sharp, peppery taste that people kind of associate with radish that mm -hmm. they don't really like mellows out considerably in the oven, and you get this really sweet flavor that you don't really notice um, when you're just eating it raw. So I like to do my vegetables in a cast iron pan, and I just do, and you can do any kind of root vegetables. I'll do carrots, uh, radish, maybe you'll throw some celery in there. I'll put in a sweet potato, Brussels sprouts if you have them. So just and, everything I get in my farm share, just throw it in. <laughs> turnips are in now too, right? Yeah. Oh, turnips, mm -hmm. roasted turnips are fantastic. It's the same thing. They get this like, there's the sugar content. There's a lot of sugar in a lot of these vegetables. Not not bad sugar, you know, good, really subtle stuff, but really kind of is accentuated when you roast it. It really draws that out and it's beautiful. So any, really any kind of vegetable that you want to roast, start it off just with olive oil, salt and pepper. Um, if you have some thyme or some rosemary that you want to throw in, some chopped garlic, perfect. Do that and add a little bit of sherry vinegar. Sherry vinegar is the secret ingredient. I do love sherry. Everything tastes just so much better. If you don't have sherry, you can use like a Marsala wine or um, even like a white cooking wine or something like that. But sherry vinegar just, man, it makes such a difference. It makes it pop. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, kind of like 400 degrees is usually fine. And you just put it in there until it's fork tender. Maybe take it out halfway through and give and it a turn. It. Mm -hmm. And that's it. And it's easy. It's really healthy for you. And it's delicious. Yeah. All right. I'll have to try that. Yeah. Get rid of some of those veggies in the fridge. <laughs> well, if you don't like turnips, give them to me because I will eat them. And I like radishes just sliced raw. Yeah. Like, we haven't gotten like any chips. turnips. It's beets and radishes, um, mm -hmm. peppers. Mm -hmm. A couple times of lettuce. And I think like beets and sweet potatoes and those kinds of root vegetables, you were talking about how this, the sweetness develops. Doesn't mm -hmm. it have something to do with the fact that they're root vegetables and they're harvested later on and so they, they have these complex, they're complex carbohydrates and so when they're cooked, that helps. It has something to do with them, it, right? Yeah, it probably does. And also depending on when they're harvested, a lot of root vegetables... You know, farmers, sometimes they will just keep them in the ground over the winter, and they actually get sweeter. The mm -hmm. sugar develops more over the winter, um, and then when they harvest them in the spring, they're, they're quite sweet. Um, but probably, I, I don't know exactly the science behind it, but uh, probably. But right now, squash is coming into season, and a roasted squash is... Ugh, I hate spaghetti squash. I my wife my actually made spaghetti squash. Like, we did... Um... I think it was like a sausage, peppers, and instead of noodles, we used spaghetti mm -hmm. squash, and it was delicious. Yeah. It's and misleading. <laughs> it's misleading. I had my first spaghetti squash a year ago, and it did not have, it, it was nothing like spaghetti. Yeah. I was like, well, forget this. You got to um, like, <laughs> you got to like, the air, it's fine. you got to take two forks, and you got to kind of shred it through, and yep. then you get like those long strands, yep. and then you can just bake it almost like a, like, um, like you do chicken parmesan. Mine was like... It wasn't soft. It was hmm. no, not this right. Is pretty good. Then you maybe I just did it wrong. Well, there's lots of other squashes besides spaghetti squash. You know, butternut squash is like ubiquitous, and you can always find it around here. And it's you know, it's delicious. You can actually, um, depending on how you want to, what your final purpose of using it is, um, you can just cut it, cut the stem end and the blossom end off, and then cut it through the middle. And then just take a big spoon and 
and scoop out those seeds. And you can save the seeds and you can toast them like you would um, like a pumpkin seed. And they're they're really good. Um, but then you just put it on a foil-lined baking sheet just so it's a little bit easier to clean up. Um, put olive oil on it, salt, and pepper. Um, you can put a little bit of fresh-rated nutmeg on it. Nutmeg and squash are awesome together. And just like 400, and you roast it until it's nice and soft. And then you can just scoop it right out of the skin. Another way you can do it is you can just take a vegetable peeler and peel. You want to actually hold the squash near you and pull the peeler towards you. If you try to push like you would do with potatoes or something like that, it gets a little stuck and it's a little bit harder. So make long pulls towards you when you're peeling your squash. Um, and then you can just do the same thing, cut it in half, scoop out the seeds, and you can just cube it up into chunks and roast it that way. And uh, then if you want to puree it to make, you know, just a pureed squash, if you want to incorporate mm -hmm. it into like, like a, a ravioli or something. or something, right, it's great. Um, but there's so many different types of squash. It's just incredible. There's butternut squash. There's um, acorn squash. There's buttercup squash. Yeah. yeah, there's... Um, I like the acorn ones. I tried a recipe one day where I took one, cut it in half, and then I made a mixture of like almost like turkey meatloaf, I guess, mm -hmm. and then put it in the middle mm -hmm. and roasted that, and that was so good. That sounds amazing. I had um, a squash today that I roasted called a little dumpling. <laughs> it's so cute. It's a little guy. And I cut it in half and I roasted it just like I said. And um, I actually scoop it out when I get home and I have some multi-grain pizza dough that I have. And put that out, do some dollops of ricotta cheese, smear on the squash, um, shave um, some Parmesan on there, a little bit of fresh grated nutmeg, and some sage leaves and bake that. And my God, is that good. Um, pizza. Yeah, squash pizza. Who knew? Would you eat that? I don't know. I didn't hear any sauce on there. <laughs> <laughs> It's pizza in quotation marks. Yeah. I don't know. I might be too Italian for that. Yeah. We'll put some garlic on it. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so can we talk about what we're eating here? Yeah, we can. We have some leftover beef bourguignon, which is kind of the quintessential braising recipe. Um, it's basically beef stew. It's really not any different than a beef stew, except it has a lot of red wine and some brandy. You know. Okay, maybe that's why I enjoy the carrots now. Usually I'm not oh, a carrot fan. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have a spoon, so I'm going to do this. Oh, no, no spoons. Uh-oh. Um, you're going to make a mess now, and you're wearing white. That's not good. Well, the people who are listening <laughs> to this podcast don't see that. They can't that's so. true. We'll pretend like we don't see it either. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's great. It's a beef dish, and you can really do it with uh, any kind of wild game, like a red meat wild game. So, Is um, this from wild meat? No, this is just beef. Oh. Um, but you could do you could do um, venison, elk, caribou, moose, any of that kind of thing. Bear, wild boar would work in this. Um, oh, my. So basically what it is is you take stewing beef, so like a, a top round or a chuck mm -hmm. or something like that, and you cut it in, into cubes. I like it kind of small because I don't want to have to like feel like I'm biting into pieces. <laughs> I just want it to go into my mouth. Yeah. Um, so I like to cut mine pretty small. And you put it in a bowl with some parsley, some thyme, salt and pepper, um, an onion that's been sliced up, a few tablespoons of brandy, and about a cup of red wine. And you just let that marinate for, uh, you know, usually four hours. But if you cut your meat small, you can go half that. Even yeah. like an hour would be fine. Um, and then you slice some bacon into little strips. And you cook that in a Dutch oven or, you know, a big pot that's mm -hmm. oven safe. And you render out the fat. So you cook the fat off. You scoop the bacon out. And you want to leave at least two tablespoons of the bacon fat in there. Um, you, If you're going to add button mushrooms, 
you would cook those in the bacon fat and then take those out. If you want to add pearl onions, you would cook those in the bacon fat and then, you know, reserve those. And then you take your meat, you strain it off of your liquid. You try to pat it dry with some paper towels, add it into that bacon fat and cook it. Um, actually, it's a bacon fat and like one little knob of butter, like a tablespoon of butter, um, just to give some more flavor. And two tablespoons of all-purpose flour that you sprinkle on, and that helps to give it, to thicken it. Um, and then when your meat is browned for the most part, then you add all that, that wine that you marinated the meat in back in. You add in beef stock. You add in a bouquet garni, which is just a fancy French term for taking a couple of bay leaves, some fresh parsley, fresh thyme, and fresh rosemary, and you tie it together in a piece of butcher twine just so you can take it out really easy. Um, two garlic cloves that you just smash and take the paper off. You don't even cut them. Throw those in. Um, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, and raising it at 375 for about an hour to two hours. And then really like 30 minutes before you want it to be done. You add your bacon back in, your mushroom, your onion. I did peas and carrots today. Um, you throw those in and you just wait until those things are cooked through and then you eat it. And it's better if you make it the night before and then reheat it in the oven. It's so, even better. So I'll never eat this again unless you bring it again. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It's not that difficult. It's really not. It's just it's just browning <laughs> stuff. In so a... the wine that you use in here, is this the wine that we're yeah. tasting today? Yep. It's, Can you um, say the name of that for us? Sure. I don't even know. It's just a, an Italian red blend. Um, it's quite dry. And you want something that's a little bit on the dry side. Traditionally, it's a burgundy wine that you would use, um, which is a blended wine um, from France. So any kind of red blend. It doesn't have to be anything. Don't use anything okay. precious. Nothing precious. <laughs> nothing that's... Nothing you're saving for No. If it's more than $15 a bottle, don't, don't use, use it. it. <laughs> no. Um, but look for something, a, a red blend that's relatively dry. You don't want it to be really sweet because as it's cooking, some of the sweetness that's in the you know, residual sweetness will kind of come out um, and go from there. Very nice. Yeah. It's delicious, by the way. Thank you. It is. It's <laughs> really good. Thank you. I especially like the carrots. The meat is definitely good and it has, you can taste, you can't taste the wines, I guess, but mm -hmm. the meat has a lot of flavor, but the carrots absorb so much flavor. They do. And yeah. they didn't necessarily taste sweet, but it's just, it's almost like if you're just eating the gravy part of it. Carrots are great. I love you can, so this is basically braised carrots. You can braise them. Um, roasted carrots are great. If you want a really delicious roasted carrot recipe, um, take a 13 by 9 baking sheet and a bag of decaffeinated whole coffee beans. Hmm. Put the coffee beans in the bottom. Put your carrots on top. Put a little olive oil, salt, and pepper, and put it in your oven, you know, 375 until the carrots are tender. And they get this amazing flavor. It's not even like a coffee flavor. It's just this really deep almost nutty flavor. So what do you do with the coffee after you've roasted? Do you make, do you grind it and make carrot drink coffee? It? Yeah, or? carrot yeah. coffee. I mean, I don't know if you're supposed to, but I don't like to waste anything, so I definitely do. Or else I'll use the the beans again to like steep something. So if I'm making like a coffee ice cream, oh, um, I'll okay. steep the beans in the milk when I'm cooking, you know, heating the milk up. That kind now of does thing. that affect the flavor of the coffee? I don't taste any of that. You get some of the residual <laughs> um, oil, a lot of the oil from the bean will come out when you're roasting it, and then mm -hmm. you'll get some of the olive oil on it. But I've never noticed a real problem with it. But as far as like a carrot flavor, no, there's no carrot flavor in the coffee. Although that could be kind of cool. <laughs> carrot coffee. That's your million dollar idea. <laughs> yeah. Carrot coffee. Carrot coffee. Vegetable coffee. <laughs> it, could be, it could work. Who knows? <laughs> um, but so you were talking about roasting chicken. So every Monday night I roast a chicken because I always have leftover, and then you can use that meat all week long right. um so i'll use it just to add into like grain salads or you know 
tacos. So Monday is roast chicken night at our house and taco Tuesday is the next night. And I'll have um, just shredded chicken and I'll cook it with, you know, some adobo sauce or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's our meat for our tacos. Um, But then you have the carcass from the chicken. You have all the bones and you can make stock. And so Mm -hmm. roasted chicken is just a gift that keeps on giving. Like yes. it just you yeah, can make so many other things. That I'm from trying it. to learn to use because <laughs> I go to the grocery store and I buy the rotisserie chicken, mm-hmm. and then my daughter and I demolish the chicken that mm-hmm. night, <laughs> and then the carcass is there, and I'm like, I'll try to make stock, and then it just never happens. It yep. ends up in the garbage. Freeze it. <laughs> you can you can pack those bones real tight in Ziploc in a Ziploc bag and freeze them, and they'll be fine for six months. Then you have plenty of opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> Sunday when you have nothing else going on. Lazy Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming back. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Look forward great. to our next episode. Yeah. Do you know what you're coming on for next? Pie. All right. Pie. Oh, yeah. Everyone will like that. <laughs> Put in your request now. <laughs> Even yeah. those of us that don't like chocolate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you, Deanna. <laughs> thank you. Thank, thank you. you. That was Deanna Fox, local food blogger and longtime Food Friday contributor, talking to us about cast iron cooking. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge.